It's podcast time. Pixelfield Podcast Episode 8. Okay, welcome to the next episode of Pixelfield Podcast. Um, my name is Marek Hasha. I work as a behavioral designer and also sometimes an account manager for Pixelfield. I'm based in Amsterdam, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming um, Sergey, who is based in uh, Kiev. So, Sergey, could you maybe briefly introduce yourself and uh, your company, so Epom Ad Server? Sure, sure, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, my name is Sergey Shalkov. I'm the sales executive here at Epom Ad Server. Uh, I've been with the company from the very beginning. I believe it's about ten years now, and um, I'm essentially managing and overseeing all the sales of our technology decisions, technology solution, uh, which is the ad server mm-hmm. and uh, DSP as well. Um, and yeah, the company has been on the market for quite some time now. Uh, it's a technology company at its core. We've got a lot of developers, a lot of tech specialists um, that keep on developing the solution. We're based in Kiev, Ukraine. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much what we do. Great. Okay, so I'm very curious to talk um, with you about the different perks of today's uh, ad servers and uh, the, what the future will hold in in that field. But first, let me start with this a rather personal question: Do you yourself use an ad blocker? I do. Yes, that that would be probably funny to hear, but um, a lot of people from the industry that I know of uh, use a blocker. Uh, to a certain extent, you know, because you you have to disable it when you're looking through yeah, what you yeah, do. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, so at work, you probably disable it, but then in your personal time, you use it. Okay. So, what what are the what are the reasons for using it then, uh, for you personally? It's really simple. I mean, the ads right now have become. Um, our uh, regular ads are too intrusive nowadays. Right, mm-hmm. and they are not engaging enough, and they are not interactive enough. Right, so okay. usually what you see is just some type of generic ads or ads that are done with retargeting that are now obsolete. You know, after you've been to an e-commerce site, you bought something, and you should mm-hmm. never see this thing again because you've already bought it. But it's still it, it, the ad still follows you across all the all the websites that you visit. And it's it's nagging essentially. It's it's not something that you want to see when you visit a website. I mean, sometimes the ads are okay if they're done uh, really tar- in a targeted manner. If they're interesting to watch, if they're interesting to interact with. But most of the time, they're just generic, and that's that's not really fun. Yeah, yeah. So I I completely understand, and from my personal experience, I can. Uh, remember many times when I even bought the product already, but the conversion tracking didn't seem to work, and then it was just yeah constantly following me for weeks and weeks on. Uh, so, uh, do you think that teaming up with ad servers like like um, one, one that provides um, your company is a solution for that uh, from the advertiser's perspective? To a certain extent, I mean our solution prides itself in that we're very rich media capable, meaning that we can design pretty much any rich media template and make it as customizable as needs be. But um, 
the thing here is that, yeah, if, if you don't have a powerful solution to not even create those ads, but rather to run them smartly, then you're not getting an upper hand and you're losing compared to you know, the competitors that have the solution in place, which allows them to target users more specifically and to reach audience with higher engaging ads. Okay. Um, so looking at the ad blocking phenomenon from a broader perspective, um, based, based on your da data or your knowledge of the field, uh, do you think that the phenomenon is still growing and it will it grow in the future? Or um, do you think that it will loosen up a bit and people will um, eventually start to be open more for uh, advertisers again? I think this, is, this all resides on the advertiser's ability to make those ads more interesting and more engaging. Because as of now, I see that it's it's pretty much the same across the board um, with, I think, about 30% of ads being blocked by the ad blocker or something like that. And um, it's again, it's because those ads are not, not just fun to see. And if the trend continues as it was just a couple of years ago, um, where quality would be not as important as quantity, uh, then more people would you know, use the ad blocker, not to see those repetitive ads or standard ads. But if uh, the agencies step up, if the advertisers step up, if the solutions on the market step up and mm -hmm. make it a norm um, you know, in providing better experience, even inside the ads, in, inside the ads ecosphere for the users, then I guess the ad block uh, usage would fall, would fall down. Okay, um, so do you think maybe, um, can you see a difference between how um, bigger advertisers are doing compared to smaller companies? Yeah, there's definitely uh, a big difference. We have clients all over the world. We have over 300 clients, which are both small local media agencies or advertisers, and we have big, big, big companies working with us, networks as well as publishers. And their approach is different because usually, uh, the bigger the company, the more sophisticated tools they have at their disposal. And uh, if you're talking to a smaller client, they may not know what a BI tool is, what a business intelligence tool is. Mm -hmm. And they don't need data as much as the bigger companies do, which really um, thrive on getting the data, on processing it using internal software, and then making educated decisions, educated guesses as to where to buy from, how to buy from, and that's probably the biggest difference. The, um, how do you say it? Um, what the smaller companies are looking for is vastly mm -hmm. different from what the bigger companies are looking for. All right, but, but you basically provide services for all kinds of companies, not, not, not um, yeah, you're not focusing on the, on the big ones. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have clients that have been with us for, uh, eight, nine years that started off as a startup, which had, I don't know, like three people in their office and were dealing mm -hmm. with very small amounts of impressions. And we provided support for them. We helped them grow. And right now they're serving billions of impressions on a monthly basis and are really big. And so we, we okay. really don't care about the profile of the client that comes to us. We just provide them with the best support possible and with the best service that we can. Yeah, because from... Um... From my environment, I know a couple of entrepreneurs uh, and smaller companies that um, maybe are just of the op opinion that um, 
something like automated optimization of ads is uh, only intended for rather a large scope of um, ad buying and not for smaller campaigns. But so how you, your uh, platform also provides um, automated optimization, right? So could you maybe uh, delve a bit into the process and uh, why, why the client should trust the process more than uh, well, yeah, manual optimization? Yeah, sure thing. So uh, as I mentioned, we have two different products, the ad server and the DSP, and both of them have different sets of optimization because the DSP is built towards advertisers and media agencies more, and they need a specific type of optimization. And the ad network, uh, sorry, the ad server is built more for ad networks, and they have their own way of optimizing things. But overall, I think it's um, really not right to say that uh, optimization, the automatic, auto automated optimization is better than human processes. It's just that they have to go hand in hand because um, the machine finds uh, the machine learning algorithms and uh, you know that kind of optimization finds mm -hmm. missing links and makes the decision based on what it has, but it could, it's best to be applied to a person's knowledge and to their background and to their experience to go hand in hand. But usually what happens is, right. Um, I mean, since the overall trend is data and programmatic, it means that we'll, we are right now dealing with vast amounts of data, incredible amounts of data. Mm -hmm. But um, what I see moving forward is that, that those data amounts are going to be increased uh, significantly over the, the next few years. And a, a human cannot deal with that amount of data. They need to use some sort of machine learning optimization or you know any technical solution that would help them find missing missing pieces and go exactly after them and that that's what a human cannot do and a machine can do so yeah yeah so it's a rather informatory tool and you should you should combine it with uh, maybe hiring your own people who have the experience anyway right Exactly. Yeah. So from, yeah. from from my experience, the best outcomes would be achieved when you have an optimization tool on the platform that you're buying with. You have mm -hmm. your own BI because, you know, you as an advertiser, if we're talking about the advertiser in this case, you have the data that nobody else does. So you take the data that the media buying platform provides you, you combine it with the data that you know about your users and then you build some math models, uh, which allow a person to make the decision, you know, where to go next. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was also curious to hear more about hyper-targeting, which is also offered by your platform. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Um, so how would you define hyper-targeting? And if you compare it to the process that we just talked about uh, for automated optimization. Do you also think that hyper-targeting needs to be supervised by uh, skilled workers or is it more of an automated uh, process? I think that the, the hyper-targeting could be left uh, to the platform to work with. So mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it obviously needs a person to set everything up correctly. But yeah. other than that, it's, it's a really cool feature. Um, we support geotargeting and geofencing, but the geofencing is only available in the DSP because the protocol makes it mandatory to pass the latitude and longitude. Um, but yeah, from 
again, also from uh, what we've seen, uh, from what our clients do is this hyper-local targeting can work if you're a big enough company to attract small businesses, no matter how absurd that sounds. Um, mm -hmm. Because, you know, if you're a big company, then you can attract those businesses easier. Uh, they come to you, they know that you're a brand and can work with you easier. Plus, uh, you have the supply available. So geofencing in that uh, scenario really allows local businesses to pursue the audience that they're most interested in. Like, you know, if you're uh, a cafe, um, you can target users that are nearby to uh, give them ads with some discounts or some something something interesting for them. Um, but yeah, for of course for you know B two B customers and for for bigger businesses, um, it's not really necessary if if you're a I don't know a company that deals with manufacturing, it would make a yeah. lot of sense to you. But for local clients, uh, this is this is really something of of interest. Mm -hmm. And so are there any downsides to hyper-targeting that you might think of or maybe some, you know, potential um, traps that they might fall into when uh, dealing with this strategy? Um, there are a few. So for geofencing, the downside is that um, you may target users that are not really interested in you. So just having geofencing wouldn't do. You need to also use um, data about the users, their interests, mm -hmm. the, the, do some behavioral targeting. Because if, um, you know, if you're a vegetarian restaurant and you're targeting a user that loves meat, then it wouldn't make any sense. You would just spend money. And given that um, targeting the users in a small area is very expensive because you would mm -hmm. need to, you know, um, bid much higher for that type of information and for those users that are right here right now so they would you know cost more uh, you may just waste your money on the users that are not interested in your product at all so geofencing should always come uh, with added parameters like I don't know retargeting or uh, custom parameter targeting or you know things like okay. that yeah you have to know more about the user yeah so if, if the entry data is of poor quality then the hyper-targeting just won't work. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and as for geotargeting, standard geotargeting, which is usually done based on IP addresses, um, that is, well, that works uh, better, given that, you know, you have a vastly higher sample of data that you're working with, uh, instead of, you know, just a 10 meter radius, you're working with a city or a region or a country. But um, given the nature of how the IP addresses are created and given out, this could also be an issue because, um, especially if you're targeting someone on the border of two countries, um, those IP ranges could be already transferred to another country and you, know, you would just yeah. still waste money. Mm -hmm. um, so hyper-targeting is probably one of the um, currently emerging trends, right? Or maybe it already uh, has emerged. Um, but are there any other trends that we should be aware of as entrepreneurs, startups, um, also large companies? Um, so what are the dominant platforms these days and dominant formats in your experience? Um, so let's split it into, into, into several topics. Now, uh, the, mm -hmm. the trend that is very powerful and growing is video, definitely. So... Uh, Video is being um, been taken on board by much more clients like this and 
uh, previous year than it was ever before. And EPOM has developed several products specifically for that, that allows you to run outstream video, um, which allows the editors to buy essentially desktop inventory uh, from the clients that don't have their own player and run video ads on it, which makes it about two times lower, mm -hmm. but still highly engaging. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of success in that area because uh, yeah, video vi videos are much more expensive than regular desktop ads. They're much more engaging. And you know, if a solution provides a great level of service for that, uh, then it's going to work out for everybody. But okay, so uh, do you think that um, the popularity of video format is in line with its effectivity? Do the, the, do the data sh show? Does the data show um, that this is also the most effective tool given the um, engaging aspect of it? It's definitely more engaging than regular ads, and it's. But I think the if you were just to use a video, then it's um, its effectiveness is kind of like slowly going down because we see a lot of publishers mm -hmm. that put videos everywhere, literally, and those video ads are unskippable. They are just obtrusing the user experience, and you know mm -hmm. they're starting to nag everybody just as regular desktop ads would. Yeah. So I think probably the solution to that would be some creative reach media units uh, that provide better user experience while delivering uh, the message of the brand or, or the advertiser to the user. Yeah, sounds about right. Um, yeah, so, but, so how are the other formats then? Yeah, so the other formats are stable, I would say, right? So there's always mm. this, this portion of the market that's looking for the next big thing. And um, about a year ago, it was probably universally decided that video ads would be the best for it. But from interesting perspective, video for, uh, perspective ad formats, I would say that we're seeing um, quite a few requests on augmented reality ads, on virtual reality ads. Uh, this is a new ground to explore. And um, we will have to see how the market reacts to, you know, how the market adapts to the penetration of AR and VR and how, how um, important it would be for the clients to run those campaigns. But um, we definitely see quite a few uh, requests for that technology as well. But if we're talking globally, then I think the biggest trend is programmatic. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but so I think uh, programmatic buying, could you maybe give us a definition of programmatic buying so that uh, all of our listeners are on the same page? Yeah, sure. So uh, the biggest difference, if, if, you know, if I was talking about it, the biggest difference between standard and programmatic media buying is that um, in programmatic, you are buying a user instead of just a bulk of traffic. And you mm -hmm. can do it much more smarter and in a more guaranteed way, in a more transparent way, and it's done on a real-time bidding basis. All right. Um, so I think this this is nothing new, right? It's been around for for quite a lot of years already. It has, yes. The the I think the first the first RTB protocol was developed about I don't know, maybe seven or eight years ago. Okay. But so, what is the prevalence of programmatic buying? Is it really widespread, or does the uh, the adoption of it maybe still taking a bit too long? This is also an interesting question because. Uh, the market is not, um, you know, one one big thing 
that exists, right? It, it, it's separated into these smaller pools of customers. And uh, what we see is as it started and now it's, you know, growing bigger, larger companies, more premium companies, big brands are fully head-on programmatic. It's just what they're used to because programmatic for them provides more capabilities than a non-programmatic mm -hmm. platform like an ad server would. But there are still millions of clients that would utilize the ad server and not uh, the DSP or the programmatic platform. Um, okay. But so, um, I don't know, would you say that programmatic buying has um, um, reached its full potential already or um, has it maybe under-delivered a bit? I think it's, it's on the rise, definitely, because mm -hmm. the trends would be that all those smaller businesses that only have had experience with the ad server, they would be moving towards programmatic. Programmatic is the future. It provides you with much more cons, uh, sorry, much more pros than cons. And uh, we will see this trend growing, 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 but it is pretty complex as a, as a solution to dive into. Whereas, you know, the ad server is pretty straightforward. You take the tags, you give it to the publishers, you set up the advertisers, you connect them, and then you manage everything. Whereas programmatic, you need to have connections. Us selling a white-level DSP platform requires our clients to have their own connections to the SSPs, have their own traffic. Um, and that may prove, uh, you know, kind of complex for the people, for, for the customers that have never had experience with programmatic. So. But the adoption rate is definitely growing, and we see a lot of requests and a lot of interest in this technology, uh, which means that you know everybody would like to transfer to it, but they just don't have the right tools or the right knowledge as of now yeah. to do that. Mm -hmm. Is your company, by the way, helping um, in that sense? Uh, do you also have some educational activities maybe, or are you trying to educate your clients on how to make the most out of programmatic buying? Uh, yeah, we do. We have um, a fantastic help desk uh, set up. We run webinars every once in a while. We have, um, we, we've been recording videos for YouTube that essentially cover for a new person that wants to dive into this programmatic world, what to start with, you know, what are the um, hidden features inside of it, what they should expect, what what they should be ready for. So yeah, that's that's definitely one of the ways how the industry would move towards programmatic is if the more people have experience working in RTB, uh, yeah. the more customers would adopt it. All right. Yeah. So that was just a little invitation for our listeners. If you want to learn a bit more about programmatic buying, um, then just go to Appum ad servers uh, channel, such as the YouTube channel, and uh, you will learn them much more, I think, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, so you mentioned the ad servers. Let, let's uh, zoom in on them as, for a bit. Um, from what I've heard, there was a big rise in ad servers in uh, the past years, but then now it seems that a lot of companies are shutting down. Um, so what, what do you think of that? And uh, where is the field moving? Yeah, so um, you're absolutely correct. 
the ad servers were on the rise about five, six, maybe years ago. Um, that was due to the fact that the overall marketing display, digital marketing started growing and everybody needed a tool to help them manage ads on the traffic. And uh, there were a lot of companies that were dealing with this. There were a lot of ad servers and uh, back then they, they were pretty, pretty simple and it was not really hard to build one. It was just the matter of the features that every ad server provides um, to, you know, to decide which one is better for you. But as the time, um, as the time passed, first of all, programmatic came into play. Second, uh, the ad servers started to become more and more complex because as the industry was evolving, the ad servers had to as well. And um, some of the platforms, you know, picked their own way of working with clients. Um, somebody decided to focus strictly on publishers. Somebody decided to make a leap into only RTB and close their ad serving activity. So essentially, the reason why why this whole this this whole thing happened with Seismic and why Oath was closed and OpenX got rid of their uh, free ad server and then just overall moved into programmatic is probably because they decided for themselves that their core clients need this need you know programmatic they need uh, you know a fully functional like DSP or an SSP. And they weren't just seeing the appeal of working with the clients that require the ad server. Whereas in Epon, we decided to go in a bit different way. We developed our own white label DSP to offer it as a standalone solution, but we also kept developing the ad server because we had so, so much knowledge. I mean, the person that wrote our ad server is still with the company and he's still developing mm -hmm. it. And uh, just the amount of knowledge that our guys have uh, is incredible and we wouldn't just want to waste it on, on something else. So, um, moreover, we constantly see a stream of clients coming to us and asking for an ad server because their goals are different to what programmatic does. They just need an ad server to manage their ads on the traffic of the partners that they work with. And they need, mm -hmm. you know, reach media units, they need self-serve accounts for their clients, they need full API, and they need an affordable solution, and which is also very powerful and customizable. So I think we're currently in a niche on the market that is hard to get into if you don't have mm -hmm. you know, a solution in place because building a new ad server is crazy. It would take you mm -hmm. a very, very, very big amount of money to do that and a very long time to do that. So it's just easier to, so to take the platform that's already on the market. Yeah, so would you say that the greatest asset that basically has allowed you to stay in the business for, for so long um, and grow is the, the knowledge of uh, your team? I would say the expertise is definitely one of the yeah. top factors. Plus, uh, you know, the, the, the reason that uh, allowed us to do so is that we're in contacts and we're, we have clients that are very well known in the market. So we have a brand name to EPOM. Um, and it also helps attract clients plus word of mouth given, uh, given our impeccable support and client service that also goes a long, long way. So we see a lot of clients that are just come to us and say that, okay, I was told about EPOM, I was recommended EPOM because, you know, they're just great guys and do, you know, do stuff good.
Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm curious about one more thing, and that's uh, that's the 5G network, and uh, what will the 5G network bring to the ad world? How how the ad world will change in terms of maybe the popularity of the formats, etc. Um, if I was to say that, um, you know, where where the advertising world would go is. If I was to predict it, I would say that video and programmatic would still be on the rise in the coming, mm -hmm. you know, in the nearest future. But what I'm really intrigued to see is whether AR and VR make this big boom where they start growing rapidly. And if the technology gets adopted by um, a lot of people, a lot of consumers, then it would lead the advertisers to, you know, looking for solutions that would allow to place their ads into that environment. And I'm, I'm, I don't know yet yeah. whether this is gonna happen, but I'm really intrigued to see if it will. Yeah, yeah, uh, I think it might, for sure. So we might actually be witnessing um, very interesting developments and uh, that's gonna bring the, the level of engagement um, to a totally different dimension, I would say. But yeah, so um, let's just wrap up the interview with um, maybe just a few practical tips for our listeners who are mainly um, startup founders or managers of smaller companies. Um, so what would you advise them in terms of creating their ad strategy and thinking of whether or not they should team up with an ad server like uh, the one provided by your company, whether or not they should delve into hyper-targeting or programmatic? I would say that my probably the, the biggest advice would be fight your battles that you know that you can win. You know, don't go all in on a technology that you would not be using. Don't go on hyper targeting mm -hmm. if you're not planning to attract local businesses. Don't go for big SSP commitments if you don't have that money to spend. Start small, know what you're doing, uh, make your analysis, work with data that is available in, you know, in, in, in an ad server or in a DSP. Work with that, understand it, analyze it, uh, make some decisions, and after you have that knowledge, you can scale up. So yeah, that's, that's probably what I would recommend because seeing customers that would first scale and then trying to understand what they're doing is unfortunately a common. Yeah. All right, I think that was a, that was a great final touch to this interview. So thank you. That was Sergey Shelkov from EPUM Ad Server. Um, it was a great pleasure having you on one of the final episodes of 2019 of the Pixelfield podcast. So again, Sergey, thank you very much. Have a great day. And um, all our listeners, you all also have a great day. Thank, thank you, you Marek. Thank you. Take care. <laughs>